Welcome everyone to the College Parent Podcast. My name is Brent Lyles. And my name is Jordan Cooper. And we want to thank you for joining us. On today's episode, we will be interviewing Maxwell Foxman, who is an assistant professor of media studies and game studies, and additionally co-director along with Amanda Cody of the Esports and Games Research Lab at University of Oregon. Today, we will be discussing the effects that e-gaming has upon college campuses and the impact it may have for years to come. Hi, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining us, Max. Um, So to provide context for our listeners, could you just give us a quick rundown of what e-gaming is and how are college campuses starting to use this on their campus? Sure. So I I think generally it's referred to as esports, just to be completely clear. And esports refers to any form of competitive gaming that happens uh, either on campuses or off campuses. So this is something that's happened since the early days of video games. Uh, Back in the arcade days in the 1980s, there were official tournaments held where people would compete uh, over games like Donkey Kong or Galaga or what have you. But um, as gaming has grown into a worldwide phenomenon and more and more of us put hours into playing uh, games, some uh, some digital games have really organized themselves around tournaments. Um, so uh, a couple of these, just in case there are names that need to be thrown out there, uh, League of Legends by the game studio Riot is probably one of the quintessential examples. They hold a worldwide championship that brings together teams from all over the world. Um, other examples include Call of Duty, uh, Rocket League, uh, Super Smash Brothers, uh, the list can go on and on. Almost any game can become an esport if there's enough people that want to do it competitively. Um, and then to answer the second part of your question, uh, only a few years ago, uh, colleges began embracing what had been mostly a grassroots form of competitive play where people were just doing ad hoc parties or ad hoc tournaments and have really started to embrace competitive gaming as another part of of college life and college campuses. So that has meant, uh, among other things, uh, some colleges will provide scholarships for their competitive esports athletes. Some schools will create facilities, whether they're training facilities, playing facilities, um, or even stadiums for viewing esports activity. Um, and last but not least, you will see it as part of uh, official campus life here at the university of oregon we have a varsity esports team that team is housed actually in our um student life area and the players will play in official tournaments that are not sponsored by the ncaa uh, as our athletics are but that are sponsored by other um, esports oriented organizations like nace or the national association of collegiate esports or the rsaa which is riots um uh organizational wing for collegiate esports and they will go off and play and compete at the uh local and national level uh and aside from that uh there are also classes that involve esports and things like that which i'm happy to go more into but that is definitely the ways that you will probably see esports on campus uh as opposed to students just sitting in their dorm rooms playing with friends uh casually well, thank you very much for that. Um, we really appreciate just a little bit of context, a lot better than we could have done. So that's really great. Um, 
So we mentioned this kind of in our um, overview of what we're going to be talking about, but you and Amanda Cody um, did some really great research on kind of um, just everything that you've been talking about. Could you just go into that a little bit? Sure. So here at the University of Oregon, we have a, a lab called the Esports and Games Research Lab, which is housed in my school, the School of Journalism and Communication. But it's actually a uh, multi-institution uh, lab. We have faculty from across the university, including uh, in our business school and in our College of Arts and Sciences. We also have a wonderful group of students and alumni, actually upwards of six, uh, including one student who is now a professor at the University of Houston Clear Lake. But we also have our, our PhD students who I, I want to mention, Wasik Rahman, Under Khan, Andy Wilson, Shane Burrell, Jared Hansen, and Brandon Harris. Um, they do a lot of the work, and so I want to make sure that they, they get some airtime and credit. Um, but the lab is focused primarily on looking at and understanding uh, what collegiate esports are, what the ecosystem looks like, and what it's like to have competitive gaming be become institutionalized, be embraced by universities. So um, it's an ongoing process. The lab is is sort of chugging along, doing lots of different types of research. We focus, as I said, on the esports ecosystem, issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, alumni and professionalization, um, and fandom and consumer behavior. So I can't speak to all of those because some of our research is ongoing, but some of the things we found initially um, is that when it comes to collegiate esports, there's a lot of opportunities that are happening. There's also a lot that colleges need to learn and a lot that students need to learn about what it means to do competitive gaming at the college level. Probably the the biggest surprise for parents uh, that that maybe their their children have told them, maybe not, is that if you go into a school to uh, to get a uh, to to do collegiate esports, often you are actually too old to go pro. The average age of players is significantly younger. 16, 17 is usually the average age of a player. So going to play collegiate esports is not something that's going to land you a job in the pros the way it would with ball and stick sports. It's much more likely that um, you're going to learn lots of really interesting skills that then you can take to the larger esports industry, whether that's shoutcasting, which means calling games, or doing graphic design, communications. That's one of the reasons why we house the Eager Lab in a school of journalism and communications is because we found that these are the real opportunities for students um, along with a host of others, um, there are professional uh, or there are college level esports players that want to do um, physical therapy for esports athletes that want to do um, other forms of therapy uh, that want to work in the business side of things. So really, it's it's a, a microcosm for understanding the broader industry. Um, we've also found that um, the opportunities that have arisen from college collegiate esports uh can can range outside of issues of 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 what you learn to to opportunities that really have been typified uh by the COVID-19 pandemic. So um we had a paper that came out uh a, a few months ago where we looked at how athletes, administrators, students um uh, responded to the COVID-19 pandemic because when we were doing interviews with those folks it was in the middle of the pandemic and what we found was 
that uh, many of them were really optimistic about the opportunities that came from collegiate esports when the rest of uh, the country shut down. Uh, esports kept happening. I mean, yes, there was shuffling around that happened. Uh, you know, some tournaments that happened in person went online, etc. But there were also just many, many opportunities for people to spectate, to enjoy esports, to play together, to have some form of social connection. Um, and even here at, at UO, uh, we had on our front page, uh, the incoming, I think it was what, 2020 class was encouraged to join the esports team's Discord channel because it was a way to introduce yourself to other students. Um, and then, but, but with that, as much as there are opportunities, there are also challenges. And I think the big challenge is that you're dealing with a relatively new uh, form of competition, a lot of new technology, and often universities haven't quite figured out um, exactly how to manage that. Um, so, you know, we've spoken to quite a few different colleges and university administrators, and you'll see that every college and university handles esports a little differently. Some have them in student life. Some have them in athletics. Some have them in a particular school affiliated with a minor or a major. Technology and space can be an issue. You need a high-end gaming PC often to play uh, esports, and so that has to be set up and maintained. Um, there are also issues of of staffing. Uh, esports teams can be not have at the same staffing levels as you might imagine. You know, we're an, we're a D1 university and uh, we do not, you know, athletics is staffed at a much higher capacity than our esports team. Um, and so those are the, the kind of minor issues that that come up. And often we, we, we have another paper about student labor that often that means that students are expected to fill in those gaps. Um, and so on the one hand, that's great. They get a lot of real world practice in the world of esports. On the other hand, it's just a very different support system than what you might see if you're playing soccer or baseball. Could you kind of uh, further the conversation regarding parents and also institutions of typically there, of course, is some concern of such a new field and such a vibrant field as we see of just the progressiveness of this industry. Could you talk a little bit about um, some of the concerns and how um, parents can kind of oversee some of these concerns instead of just directly looking at them. Yeah. So, I, I mean, this is me putting on my my professor cap more than anything else. Um, so I am a professor of game studies. And one of the questions I often get asked is, you know, why are you a professor of game studies in a school of communication? Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that uh, we often associate games with being child's play and being uh, kind of a child's form of entertainment. Um, I, I'm sure plenty of parents do because they're playing those games either with their kids or have done that when their kids were younger. Um, but the fact of the matter is the game industry is probably, if not the largest, one of the largest media industries in the world. Um, it outpaces in terms of profits other major industries like film. Um, and as a consequence, what that means is that uh, not only does it warrant significant study, in my opinion, because it is something that we are all consuming the same way we do film, television, other major media formats, but that it is an important uh, it, it, it's an important industry to know from a job perspective. So, so my big thing to encourage parents to think about is this is a, an industry that is hiring lots of people every single year, not necessarily just computer scientists to develop games, but communicators, 
um, creative artists, you know, the, the lists can go on and on and on. And as a consequence, um, that is, it, it, it should be something that is considered along with other positions um, when when uh, students are applying to college, the skills that you'll get from an English class can be turned into making narratives for games. The skills you get from a communications uh, major can be used to market those games, to tell stories about the players, to tell stories about um, uh, the the ongoing you know competitions that are happening when it comes to esports tournaments. And of course, um, you know this is something that that I I have a personal uh, affinity for. Is uh, there is a large game journalism field in and of itself uh those who are covering games and game making i actually have a book coming out about that in late august so um that is that is yet another occupational opportunity so it's important for parents and students to keep in mind when you're when you're thinking about your future careers that this may very well be one that you want to explore that's awesome. Uh, just listening to you, I feel like I'm gaining so much knowledge, so I really appreciate it. Um, could you tell us how you have seen esports affect the students in college just um, with its presence on college campuses? Yeah, so um, I think that I can, I can answer that a few different ways. Um, here at the University of Oregon, I think you can see that it's affected students in the sense that it is a passion project for them. Um, and I don't think that this is too unusual based on what we've seen at other campuses. Um, our our uh, varsity team was started by a group of passionate students who really wanted to go varsity, essentially. They wanted, they were already to some degree competing in these tournaments and wanted that legitimization from the university. And so that was why they pushed for it. That's what they've achieved and that's what they've continued to achieve. Um, since uh, I think we we went, we our varsity team started in 2000, 20, 2019 or the very beginning of twenty twenty. Um, but in addition to that, uh, and just to sort of put a fine point on it, it wasn't just the passion project of those players, but the passion project of everyone that works around it. So um, I'm an advisor to uh, the UO Esports Broadcasting. Uh, organization, which is an organization that calls the games live uh, when they happen. Um, I say advisor, but I do very little advising. The uh, organization was actually started as part of a one credit class we have here at UO called Duck TV, which is a student led um, TV station. There were so many students interested in esports that for a while that's what they were doing uh, was esports coverage in Duck TV. And then they spun it off into their own organization because. It's something that they have so much passion for. So, for those that are into esports, I think that it is some. It is an important avenue. Um, you know, these are people that play these games for hours a day. They love the games. They've been playing some of them, uh, in some cases, for decades. I mean, League of Legends is a single game that is over a decade old. So it's not like there's been a League of Legends two. It's been people focused on this one game, playing it competitively for over like i said for a decade um so as a consequence i think for those students it's a really important passion um and it it again can lead to these uh potential future careers or again uh just a community of like-minded souls um like other 
university organizations, that doesn't mean it doesn't have its moments of being siloed or maybe not as uh, well understood throughout uh, the uh, a university. Um, I think what we found in our research, as opposed to necessarily at the University of Oregon, is that, um, as I said, students can often feel like they are doing a lot of work to try to explain what esports is to their family and friends. Um, they are often uh, working within their kind of own siloed spaces, and um, and that the university again doesn't necessarily understand all the nuances of what it means to be an esports player, um, what it means to staff that posi those positions, etc. Um, and then there's also other issues that are endemic to some degree to competition and gaming, which are realistically part of the esports environment as well, whether thinking about issues of toxicity, um, getting overly heated and competitive. I mean, and 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 the fact of the matter is, is that over uh, esports demographically is overwhelmingly male um, and that's across universities that's really across the entire competitive landscape and so that's something that that uh as students go onto campuses they'll probably notice and um hopefully as time goes on universities will be able to tackle more meaningfully um and are tackling tackling meaningfully i should say but will have you know uh further and further results so that's a long-winded way of saying there are a lot of passionate players that any student coming onto campus will see and that there's still room for esports to grow and kind of open up to the community um, as it develops in the years ahead. So kind of going back to the topic of your research, could you share a little bit about the research lab and has there been any studies that have surprised you or I know we discussed earlier about the future, the impacts, the diversity of esports. Could you just share anything that you feel surprised by from your research? Um, sure. I mean, I've mentioned a couple of our, our published studies already, but I think what was surprising for me uh, or a couple of things that I've mentioned that that uh, a couple of the studies that I mentioned that were surprising for that had surprising results for me um, with our COVID-19 study. I think what we were surprised by a little bit was um, that interesting balance that had to happen during the pandemic between the challenges and opportunities that we found um came with the pandemic so on the one hand as i said there was this real rush of excitement that happened uh when it came to having this opportunity to compete online during lockdowns etc but then there were challenges which maybe seem obvious in retrospect to me <laughs> but they were surprising at the time i mean technology and space was a very big one um we had just opened up, for instance, at the University of Oregon, a uh, a large facility for not just our uh, our athletes, but for any student to be able to play esports. It was an esports lounge, and of course, that got shuttered about a month after it opened due to the pandemic. Um, and I just use this as, as an example of a broader phenomenon, which we found, which was that technology and space really can make it so that some people can play and some people can't. Uh, if you just don't have a computer that can handle this, which many students can't, uh, don't don't have the money for, that that can prevent you from being a, a, a collegiate player. Um, similarly, 
budgets for staffs shrank during that time period. And obviously that impacted the esports environment. Suddenly you have a staff of three or four goes down to one or in some cases zero. Um, I think similarly in our in our labor piece, uh, we, we have a paper that I mentioned about student labor. Uh, it, it was really surprising to think about how much students embrace the kind of entrepreneurial spirit that comes with this uh, with this type of competitive gameplay. In other words, as I've suggested a few times, they really wanted to make this uh, uh, they really want to make collegiate esports work. Um, it's almost a not taking no for an answer um, type of uh, uh, of mentality. And so many of them saw this as such an important piece of uh, their portfolio. They saw it as a benefit to the school. The schools obviously made uh, uh, saw it as a benefit because it allowed many universities to recruit or to compete on a national stage. Um, or to attract new fans or students. But it was interesting to think about how much of that is a kind of labor of love. There's a scholar named Ergen, Berlu Ergen Balut who discussed something called ludopolitics, uh, which is this overarching idea in game studies that you are expected to play games and do a lot of labor for games because you love them, which I, I've done myself. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that we really saw that present with these students who were willing to put in those hours to to just sort of make esports happen uh to their credit but also to my surprise because you know i could imagine all sorts of other activities that they might not be willing to do that with um yeah and then just uh, as a final thought we have so many other projects we're working on uh which you know, will will no doubt net really interesting results. And I don't want to talk too much about them because they're not fully published yet. But, you know, we have work on different definitions of toxicity um, and how that that even that notion of toxicity, which is, is, as I said, is something that you just find in gaming is defined really differently based on if you're a player or uh, uh, an athlete or a um, administrator. We have some work on Twitch. Uh, the live streaming platform and the pivotal pivotal role it plays in the both the economics of esports, but also how it uh, isn't accounted for necessarily in um, uh, in in administrative plans. Like, how do you deal with this commercial platform uh, when you are when so much of what happens at a university is happens within sort of the bounds of the university's con uh, LMS, and then. Uh, I think we, we even have some future work on spectatorship and how that's changing in fandom. Uh, and then last but not least, I think one of the things that might be surprising for a parent, which is just this is a personal opinion, uh, is that there are a lot of opportunities, I think, in the future. We haven't really started this too much to think about the relationship between esports and name, image and likeness, which is, of course, such a hot button issue in ball and stick sports. Uh, in many ways, esports athletes have been dealing with name, image, and likeness for the last five to 10 years. Most esports athletes, as I say, start really young, and then they leverage that into a career where they are streaming live on platforms like Twitch and have to handle their name, image, and likeness. So there's a lot to learn, I think, in the future um, from both the gaming side, but also from the sports side, if that makes sense. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Something that um, kind of 
quick to make me want to ask another kind of rogue question um, is when you were talking about kind of the um, gender breakdown of how it's very predominantly male um, playing yeah. video games. Could you talk a little bit about um, just how that has changed over the years and kind of where it's going with that? Sure. So I, I should be more uh, uh, just to be completely clear. Playing games, so playing digital games, is not something that is predominantly male. Um, if you look at the numbers, it, it's 50-50. Some numbers have slightly higher women to men. Some have slightly higher men to women. But I think that that, to answer your sort of initial question, everybody plays games. Um, it is, it is uh, there, there are certainly old standing stereotypes of the kind of young male gamer in his basement playing video games and um i would say that is generally just not true and it it has not been true for quite uh quite some time now and of course there are so many different platforms for playing games so where you know yes certain types of games or certain types of platforms may skew more male or more female but when you think about all the games you can play on portable platforms like the switch on your phone using uh virtual reality and other uh head mounted displays there's just such a wide variety of digital gameplay that um i think there's kind of something for anyone if they're interested um when it comes to esports though yes that those particular games and what is defined at the kind of national and international level as competitive esports is overwhelmingly male um I would say sort of looking at this holistically, that is changing to a slight degree. There are certainly efforts to um, diversify esports. Um, to, to go back uh, a couple of beats, uh, when we look at international esports, uh, as as popular as they are in the United States, they're even more popular, having even more uh, a longer history uh, in Asia, particularly in South Korea, which uh, the national government there actually heavily invested in esports a few decades ago, um, and in China, where uh, I am told, at least I, I don't have the personal experience here, that the local regional League of Legends players are more popular than most ball and stick sports players. Um, so if we look at it internationally, there's there's a large Asian presence and there's a large uh, white male european presence um so both from the united states and europe a little bit less so in south america a little bit less so when it comes to africa um but i think there there have been efforts to create all women's teams to compete um similar to what you might see in traditional ball and stick sports i think there are efforts to actually create more uh co-ed teams because there is nothing in terms of the physicality of esports, which is quite physical. Um, it requires literally hundreds of very tiny movements and decision-making strategies. Um, so it's somewhere between the stress levels of uh, golf, uh, poker, and a few other sports mixed together, uh, if you want some some uh, non-gaming comparisons. But um, so there are, there are those efforts. I wouldn't say that they're across the industry. Uh, I, I would say that they are efforts that are supported by the industry, but um, there's definitely some some room to grow and there are groups advocating for this, etc. Maxwell, could you, uh, we've talked a little bit about it, but could you kind of share with us where 
do we think the future of esports is going and how do we think that's going to further impact college campuses as we continue to see more and more institutions just um, pour money towards this as it's being beneficial, as you can tell from the University of Oregon and many other institutions? Sure. So I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll give the kind of uh, the glo- what I see as the global answer to that and then try to talk about implications for universities. Um, I think at a global scale, I actually see esports a little bit differently than many of my colleagues in that I see it as much as it is about sports, as much as it's about competition. It is also about games expanding in, into industries that previously they've kept a little farther afield from. And so uh, not just industries, but also companies. So one of the things that's amazing about uh, a, a company like Riot which makes League of Legends, is that they are not only utilizing their intellectual property for these large-scale, often in-person competitions that are sponsored by hallmarks of global sport, which means that they're dealing with people like MasterCard, Mercedes-Benz, you know, those, those homegrown names that we all take for granted. But they've also used that intellectual property to do things like Make music. Uh, they actually created an, uh, a completely virtual K-pop band that uh, opened up one of their tournaments. They've leveraged it into television shows. They had a Netflix series that was uh, built from their characters in League of Legends. They've partnered with fashion icons like uh, Louis Vuitton to help design their trophy, um, their their world championship trophy. So the fact of the matter is, is that they have really expanded their footprint through esports uh from gameplay to all these other novel terrains and i think esports is a really good place to see how the game industry does that in general and is doing it more and more and you could just look at a company like microsoft and how it interfaces with the many game companies it owns as another example um so what does that mean for colleges well as i said if this industry is growing larger and going into all of these other fields that we take for granted, it means that colleges are, I think, rightly investing in games in order to prepare the next generation of students for dealing with them. Um, you know, it's it's going to be hard to work in business or work in finance or work in creative industries without interacting with games or game studios or game makers or just people that take games for granted in your everyday life. And so I think in the future, we'll see that uh, college colleges will probably invest, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if it'll be a boom or bust cycle, but I think we'll see the growth of more uh, game-based majors. Uh, we'll see the growth of game minors. Here at the University of Oregon, we're actually starting a game studies minor, uh, and that will be something that... Uh, if it, it it it's currently under review, but if it comes into being, uh, it would be something that would be a great addition for the things that I've mentioned. Yeah, the goal will be that uh, I, I think in the long run, what we'll see is that this investment will probably dovetail uh, ideally with the other endeavors of the university. And, you know, at, at its best, will just become normalized like every other uh, sort of field that that students come into to schools to uh, study. Thank you very much for that. Um, that is about the last questions that we have, but I wanted to give you a moment. Is there anything that you would like to share? Any final thoughts that you have for us that you would like for our listeners to um, hear? 
Uh, I, 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 I think we covered a lot in a, in a relatively short amount of time. So I would just say that, uh, I, I, I want to thank all my colleagues. First of all, uh, I mentioned my PhD students or our PhD students, but obviously this work is done with, uh, the help of Amanda Cody, as well as the other faculty, John, uh, Clitheroe, Henry Ware and Tara Fickle. And, um, yeah, I think that in the, I, I think just sort of finishing on the last point that I said, it, 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 one, if there's one takeaway that I hope parents can uh, get from this is when they are thinking about what their uh, their children might do as a future career, the likelihood that it will bang up against games in one way or another, I think is is pretty high. And so, um, you know, these games are complicated. They may or may not have played them themselves. They may or may not have played them well. Um, I will confess I am a very bad league player. Um, it's not like I am I'm an expert by any stretch of the imagination um, when it comes to the actual gameplay. But that doesn't mean um, that it isn't going to have a major impact or isn't already having a major impact. So I think it's just worth underscoring that uh, they should keep an eye on that when they're when their kids inevitably say, hey, I want to uh, I want to go to school to study games. Um, you could even become a professor. So <laughs> I think that's something to remind, remind them of. And so for our listeners today, we hope today's topic gave you better insight into the world of esports on college campuses and beyond. And we challenge you today to think kind of what Maxwell was saying of how this community could impact your student um, not only just as a hobby, but beyond into a career and even further opportunities. As we wrap up this episode, we want to thank Maxwell for taking the time to be a guest on our show. If you want to learn more, check out our other The College Parent Podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a great day and see you next time. <laughs>